So why do we do that? Do you ever wonder? It's like, well, uh, they don't do that in the Muslim faith. They don't do that with the Hindus don't do that. Uh, Buddhists don't do that. Um, I was even thinking even the CEO of Apple comes out and, uh, you know, he gives his little evangelistic speech, but there's no singing when they do that, right? So it's really only the Christian faith where we have music and a message. And do we just do that out of ritual? Do you ever wonder what the foundation is behind that? So that's just one question I want you to ponder. And I see Jerry back there with all those Bibles. So I'll have him come forward. If you need a Bible this morning, raise your hand. One of these guys will set you up. We are going to be going into the Word, so I don't have a handout. It's going to be kind of a Bible-based uh, message today. Very good. And then I've got one other thing for you guys to, to ponder upon. Do you realize that the Christian faith is based on news? Good news. It's news that, uh, just like the 11 o'clock news that comes on at night, the Christian faith is based on good news. Gospel means good news. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I, I agree that he died for my sins. I agree that he rose again. I agreed with all this. He wasn't my treasure. And, uh, in fact, beauty, his beauty of his grace just escaped my eyes. It was like, yeah, I, I know I, I'm, in, I'm a sinner. I know I'm in trouble with God. So, yeah, I, I want Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. And that was how I lived for many years. I'll be very transparent about that. And because he wasn't my treasure and I wasn't willing to forsake everything and pick up my cross and follow him, actually, I was still his enemy. And I had believed a lie, and I convinced myself that I could live any way I wanted. It didn't really matter what my behavior was, because I had Jesus on the side right here, and he was going to keep me from hell. But that's really a dangerous place to be, actually. You can convince yourself that you're saved and be totally lost. A lot of... Uh, I don't want to <laughs> say... But uh, I've read from pastors that say... Pastoring in the south, the southern parts of the United States, a lot of people go to church. They believe that they're Christians because they, you know, go to church every Sunday. And he says sometimes those are really the hardest people to reach for the gospel because they think, oh, I'm a Christian. I go to church every Sunday. You know, I sing songs. I mean, I don't read my Bible or, you know, uh, I'm not part of a home group. I don't really, like, share Jesus with anyone, but I'm saved. And I'm not judging anybody on that, but you have to be concerned about someone that, that never wants to share Jesus. It's not the center of their life, okay? It's just, it's just a concern, and I think uh, we don't want to judge people, say, you know, like Nick's been sharing. We don't want to take that log out of our own eye before we start judging the speck and the other, but... Out of love, when you see people's lives aren't lining up with the Word of God, I think out of concern and with a humble heart, you can go to them and say, Brother, you know, I don't see your life lining up with God's Word. 
So let's go back and look at our text one more time. And we're going to look at verse 4. In their case, that's unbelievers, the God of this world, small g, he's talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the good news, of the glory or beauty of Christ, who is the image of God. Another word for glory is beauty. Let's say last night, wow, it was a glorious sunset. And then I could change one word and say, man, it was a beautiful sunset. Now, one word changed, but the thought process is still the same, right? It's glorious. It's beautiful. So what Paul is telling his readers is that the God of this world has blinded our minds. If you read it right there, right? He says, out of this world. has." So it's not our physical problem. You know, we see we see the beauty, but problem is we're not creating the beauty and into his authority, his beauty. And uh, condition of every before God were blind to the beast. And to many people, he was a good man. He did wonderful acts um, as a prophet, see him as to model your life after. And he did, he lived an amazing life. And to others, other people despise him because they think he's arrogant. He says, I'm the only way to the Father. There's no other way to God except through me. So people think, well, that's very arrogant, you know, to, to speak that way. But what they both have in common is they don't see him as beautiful, right? He's not glorious to them. So we might think since the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, that we're just pawns in the devil's hands, that he just pulls the strings and we're blind. We don't know what we're doing. And so do we actually have any accountability in this matter? Well, let's look what Paul says about this condition to the blindness to the glory of God. And if you want to turn to page 939 in the Bibles that were passed out, I'm going to read Romans 1, 18 through 21. The of God, godliness of men. I their own that's the truth what can be known of them because visible attributes and divine have been clear ever since the creation of all the things that have been made so they are use although they knew god, they honor him as god thanks to him those hearts were darkened paul is plain that alien we out of this world want to see the light of we don't remain in our darkness stay away from dwell in the darkness and the perspective uh, 19 to Stepping over as if Jesus Christ is their treasure. If they see him as glorious, because if they're disagreeing with facts, as soon as that temptation comes, if they don't have something that they're holding on to that's more glorious than what the world is offering, they're jumping in head first. And I think we've all heard the reports about how many millennials have just left the church. They were taught all these things, and they did it for their parents. And there again, I don't. It's difficult because I don't want to say, "Don't take your kids to church." That's not the message. The, mes the message is, is that we have to help them see that they don't want to just be agreeing with facts. They have to have Jesus as their treasure, and that's what's going to save us, right?
So just like the art professor, I can stand up here and tell you how beautiful Jesus is and how glorious he is. But until you see him as glorious and beautiful, it's not going to change your heart. You're just going to be agreeing with a, a statement. And that's where I was for more years than I care to admit. And I didn't really want to, to be re, to be honest. And I just rebelled against his authority and I was blind to his beauty. And that's where I was that Sunday morning, thinking back, you know, why, Lord, have you been so good to me after all the stuff I've done and rejecting you and going my own way? Because God in his mercy, he could have left me there as a half-hearted professing Christian. I could have been one of those people that stood before him thinking I was saved, but he did exactly what we're going to see in verse 6 of our text. So let's look back now at verse 6. For the God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So let's look at our verse a little more closely to understand exactly how our rebellion towards him is supernaturally changed from resisting his offer to embracing it, cherishing it, and even seeing it as beautiful. Now, first, I need to say is that there's a little bit of a dilemma here because we can't do this on our own. We cannot see Jesus as beautiful in our natural state. Paul tells us so much in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It's on page 953 if you want to turn there. But he tells us, the natural person does not accept the things of God, the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So what needs to happen is that the eyes of our mind need to be supernaturally enlightened and changed. But we see that in verse 14 that a spiritual awakening needs to take place. We need to be transferred out of the realm of darkness and into the kingdom of light, right? So if you're following my reason right now, we have a dilemma, don't we? We need to see him as glorious, but we can't. And uh, at this point, I put a little thing in there because I knew Nick was going to be reading that. And I said, so come back next week when Nick is here, and he'll happily answer all the questions that I arose. And I wrote, ha, 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 brother, gotcha. (laughs) But uh, get serious again. The first step we all need to take is admit that we're blind, that we're sinful, rebellious, mutineers against a holy God, and we are beggars all at God's table. Until we know our own and see our own true condition and admit our utter wickedness, we will never see Christ as he truly is, as beautiful beyond all comparison. We need to know the bad news before we can embrace the good news. Jesus led a perfect life on this earth. He perfectly fulfilled every aspect of God's law. He was obedient, compassionate, serving mankind at every turn. 
So why was he forsaken by all his friends and treated as a common criminal and ultimately nailed to a cross? I think Isaiah 53 really captures where where the unbeliever is. I'm going to start at verse 2. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hid their faces. We love the darkness, right? He was despised and we esteemed him not. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. Why, why is Jesus smitten and stricken? For our sake, he, talking about the Father, God, made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why was he crucified? Not ultimately because of the plans of men, though they are guilty of their sin of crucifying the Lord. Jesus died my death and your death that so we could be made righteous. He did it so we could be set free from our blindness, that our eyes could be open, and we would embrace the light of God. And to see this ultimate reality, that is to behold the unmatched beauty of Christ, we need to see it. So I'll answer my original question. So why do we Christians meet every Sunday to sing songs and to listen to a person preach from the Word of God? Well, my answer would be to remember and to rejoice. We listen to a message that reminds us where we were, right? We were lost. We were blind. We were under God's wrath. But God provided a remedy for our condition. He poured out his justifiable wrath for our sins upon his own son so that we could become his sons and daughters. And now to answer my second question for myself, do I see Christ as my all-satisfying treasure? Another way of saying it is Christ, the pinnacle beauty in my eyes. And now I can say yes, but perhaps... If you're honest, unlike I was for many years, you would answer, you know, honestly, Paul, I don't see him as beautiful. I don't see him as glorious. But I know I need to, but I'm afraid to surrender my life completely. What I've been holding on to, it might be a dirty little insect, but I see it as something valuable. So I'm going to pray that Paul, what Paul declares must take place in verse 6, and our text will take place in your heart, and we'll take it at a section of a t at a time. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness. Now he's referring to first, or Genesis 1, verse 3. Let there be light, and there was light. God simply speaks a command, and light is supernaturally created out of utter and complete darkness. 
God is all-powerful and completely sovereign over all of his creation. And what he commands will come forth. So a God who is all-powerful, completely sovereign and holy, he deserves to be worshipped. But as it says in Isaiah, but like sheep, we have all gone astray. We've all turned our backs to God and said, we see you. We see your beauty. We don't want you. Thank you very much. So what would be the proper response for a perfect and holy God for such people as us? Certainly it's not mercy, right? Certainly it's not to take our sins upon himself and crucify his son. But that's exactly what God has done. And let's look at the last section of verse 6. God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So God sees our helpless condition. He sees we're in the darkness. He knows we think it's good. Our knowledge is upside down. We don't see Christ as our answer because we don't think. Remember, our eyes are blinded by the temporary God of this age. We don't think we're blind. We see perfectly with our eyes. But our natural eyes aren't the problem. It's the eyes of our mind that are the issue. So God, in his mercy, supernaturally imparts the knowledge of the glory or beauty of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we understand that every aspect of our salvation is because of God's mercy and grace, we should be humble and contrite, knowing we were the ones that deserved to be nailed to that cross, not the unmatched beauty of God's only Son, whom he loves with a love that's never-ending, and now we've been brought into it. As I opening in my sermon, I alluded to the fact that our faith is that our faith is based on good news. And the good news is that this offer of forgiveness of eternal life is for people everywhere. Your nationality, your race, or any other factor, including your sin, doesn't disqualify you from turning away from this world and into God's kingdom. So you might be listening to this message and saying, you know, Paul, um, it's great that you see beauty in God. You see glory in, in the face of Jesus Christ. But you say, honestly, I don't see it. I, I don't see him as glorious. I think I need to. In fact, I know I need to, but I see video games, movies, sports a lot more enjoyable and like spending my time there and not in the Word of God. And I can relate to that because I was there for many years. But I pray, I'm going to be praying in just a minute, that if there's a sliver of a sliver of a desire that you would see God as glorious and beautiful, that you would fall on Jesus Christ this morning, that you would trust him this morning, 
you would see that what you think is this beautiful gem that you've been holding on to is just a dirty little insect. There's no value there. It's going to rot. Everything is going to rot or turn rust away, turn to dust. Everything in this world is winding down. The only thing that's going to be eternal is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So I'm begging you, don't harden your heart. Because God's word says that you can keep hardening your heart to the message of the gospel to the point where it won't reach you anymore. And none of us wants to be there. So I'm going to close in prayer right now. Um, And I'm begging that God would do a miracle. Okay. Lord, uh, only you, Lord, can open blind minds, Lord. We are in darkness, Lord. The natural man does not see you as beautiful, as all-glorious. We are in rebellion to you, Lord, and it blinds us to your beauty. Lord, only your spirit is able to open blind eyes, Lord, to shine the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, into our hearts and into our minds and transfer us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. I'm praying, Lord, for anyone here this morning, Lord, that, that doesn't see you as glorious, that doesn't see you as beautiful, Lord. They would fall on you, Lord, and just cry out, I believe, help my unbelief.